You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. Flora, I think you'll find it's Amber Rudd first. And shouldn't you tell people who we are? Okay, uh, with journalist Flora Gill and failed politician Amber Rudd. <laughs> or more like the right honourable Amber Rudd and her nobody daughter. Okay, wow, taking that to therapy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that split opinion and we'll be trying to convince each other to change their mind. That's right, because here at Split Opinion we think changing your mind should be celebrated. Too often today, people refuse to listen to the other side and have become very dogmatic in their positions. That's something I learned a lot about in the past few years in politics. So we'll be looking at items that have changed our mindset in the last week before picking a subject to delve into. Sometimes they'll be serious, like drug legalisation and prostitution. Other times they'll be less so, like telly and thongs. But we won't be doing it alone. We'll be joined by a guest, an expert, who can help each of us win our particular case. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Split Opinion. Today our main topic is going to be on uh, whether politicians have big egos. I think we all know it's yes, but we're going to wait to hear mum try and defend that point. I'm going to convince you. And we're going to be joined by uh, the activist Nimco Ali first, and then we're going to be joined by former politician George Osborne. Yes, that's right. But before we get round to our main topic, uh, mum and I have each picked something that we've changed our minds on this week. So mum, why don't you let me know what you've changed your mindset on? So I've changed my mind about masks, and that's that's also partly obviously because we're all going to have to wear them if we go to shops and I have started wearing them quite seriously over the past well a couple of weeks really um, but I was very very reluctant to wear them because in my head they sort of associated with repression women's repression trying to get women's voices not heard a bit of an echo of a handmaid's tale I really resented the idea of wearing them but I've become convinced because of the practical benefits of wearing a mask that I don't want to pass on the virus should I have it and I don't want to get it from anyone else. And we're all going to be more healthy if people like me just toss away those uh, objections and uh, wear them in order to get the benefits of the health side. And actually, I've got here in my pocket, Flora, to show you my lovely new mask, which I got from Brora. You see, it's a very pretty Liberty pattern. beautiful. 
and it opens very nicely over your nose and it's very uh, you can see okay. very straightforward to put this, on this is radio so, people can't see you oh no this is why i'm describing it so carefully it's a really pretty I, liberty print did you but just my look- point is just to finish from here flora stop interrupting me that there's a huge variety of masks so not only am i enjoying wearing my masks but i can now start collecting them and have um different fashions for different moods and that adds to the fun of wearing the mask rather than feeling oh my gosh i can't breathe so what i'm hearing is that you didn't want to be all handmaid's tale and then you looked around and went oh my god men are having to wear these too who knew yeah I there was, was a just us there is a bit of that i'm 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 a big fan of masks because I have very thin lips, awfully thin lips, and big lips have been very in for a very long time, and, you know, Kylie Jenner, big lips. And now, everyone's wearing a mask, and I feel 30% more attractive, (laughs) you can't see all my chin acne. Also, another great thing, I walked down the street the other day, and there was a girl that I used to be friends with, uh, who in retrospect I think was a bit of a bully walking down the street, and I had that awful moment as she was getting closer and closer to me, and I thought, oh god, I'm going to have to have this awful chit chat and chat to her but actually it was wearing a mask she had no idea who I was walked straight past invisibility click that, that is a definite benefit and I must say when I go on public transport in the past I ha- have had people come up to me and share their opinions on what I may have done right or wrong in previous roles in uh, cabinet and now because I'm wearing a mask well they don't know so I don't get uh, that sort of uh, sharing opportunity from the general public when I'm on the tube which yeah. is also good it must be nice for like real celebrities who now can be a bit bit normal people and yeah. just not and surely you can just say oh so sorry I can't take that selfie because you can't get within two meters of well, me well also nobody will ask for a selfie because they don't know who you are so the anonymity for people must be of benefit to some people although let's face it that's a tiny tiny amount of people much better is the fact that we're all wearing them so there are health benefits I wonder if when as we hope the virus ebbs away people will just carry on wearing them as a habit in order to maintain the health benefits I mean one of the, but, but one of the consequences could be that people get less other diseases like you know you go on the tube in the past even before this virus and you could quite often pick up a cold Actually, in China as well, wearing a mask is much more common. If you have a cold then or you feel unwell, you would always wear a, a mask into work. It's very normal. I think it's interesting how... Um, did you see there was a, a protest last weekend uh, on anti-masks of ah. people people protesting against wearing masks. Just the, some, of the, some of the statements against it are so, so absurdly ridiculous. I love all the ones that are just saying, you know, this year it'll be just a mask and the next year it's a balaclava and then the year after it's a whole niqab yeah you know that is ridiculous but tell me where did they have the protest in Hyde Park outside yeah so you don't have to wear masks outside anyway yeah but they, they, you can't go protest you know inside a Starbucks that doesn't really have the same impact no that's true you wouldn't have the same quantity either okay it doesn't sound like they're going to win that argument because uh, I think pe- most people are thinking like me which is listen there's a health benefit wear your mask I, I, just, I just love that whole like the slow progression I feel like the, the equivalent is, is, is as if a, a man would be like no I'm not going to wear a condom because next year it'll be a plastic nappy and then the year <laughs> after it'll be a boiler suit made of cellophane and then finally it'll be a see-through body bag this is just the first step I think masks is as far as, far as it goes and I'm collecting a nice array of different fashionable ones I think it's interesting that the opposition to masks has felt very political or very divided along political lines. I think this is particularly a thing in America where it seems very the left or the right. In the same way, like like when Trump was so determined not to wear a mask for so long, wasn't he? Mm -hmm, Exactly. But it's interesting that a lot of our politics in England or a lot of our cultural movements, I think, come from what we see in America. So sometimes that's 
really great things. Like I think Black Lives Matter got really sparked here because of it going on in America, but sometimes it's negative. So I think the anti-mask movement has particularly picked up steam in England from seeing it in America. Except it's interesting because in, in America you had Trump, you had the right, this figurehead kind of being quite anti-mask slyly. Whereas here it's Boris Johnson legislating for it and making it happen. So the right side doesn't really have anywhere to go. They don't really have a political people to leech onto for this anti-mask position. You're right. The right, uh, the right party, i.e. the Conservative Party, tried to resist a bit with masks, I felt, to start with, and now has embraced it. But there's nobody to the right of the Conservative Party to be Trumpian in terms of trying to reject use of the mask. So the people who do are really on their own. But there is this odd thing that not wearing a mask, it's like being painted by some people as a, as a perceived way of holding holding on to your freedom by not wearing a mask when actually all you're doing is potentially spreading a bug. Yeah, people have a real, people hold this idea of freedom in such high esteem, it's such a high value, whereas actually in order to, you know, live in a society that we live in, you give up so many freedoms, you know, you can't park wherever you want, you can't pee on the street wherever you want. Oh, please don't do that. You can't, there are so many things you can and can't do. But it's only when it's kind of like, a you know, we're like children. It's only once you have an additional one given to you that you hadn't already signed up for. Suddenly we're like, oh, what? But it's like when seatbelts got introduced, there was a similar backlash against, oh, you're making me put on my seatbelt. But isn't that interesting? Because actually the reason why the seatbelts got through again was basically a health issue. It was going to save lives. And when the evidence points to taking action and indeed, as you say, Flora, taking away some sort of liberty, but it saves lives, it gets support. Seatbelts, smoking and now face masks. But the public has to be brought with you and the evidence had to be there. But once it was there, I think it. Be, I think the public now can get very angry with people who aren't wearing masks. The public support for wearing masks is pretty complete. Yeah, I liked when we were sitting next to a guy on the tube the other day and we both obviously had our masks on. We did. And there was a man sitting next to you who was the only person in the carriage not wearing a mask and he also had his headphones on blaring it very, very loudly. And I just think that Venn diagram of people that refuse to wear masks and also play their music too loudly on the tube is probably a complete circle. I agree. I was so tempted to nudge him and tell him to put his mask on. Well, you did very loudly complain about him to the rest of the carriage. They agreed with me. You could see them nodding. (laughs) He was nodding along too, just to his music. But everyone else was nodding saying, yeah, you tell him. But I didn't in the end because he might not have had it with him. I saw a statistic this week that you from YouGov that said that 37% of Britons hadn't worn a face mask outside of their home in the last seven days. Ooh. But actually, when you looked at the statistics, most of it were because people were shielding or they hadn't been into crowds or things. There was only a very, very, very tiny percentage of people that said that it was it was because of inconvenience. So I think the majority of people are on board with this. It certainly feels like it to me. And so this should be. So what is your issue, Flora, that you want us to think about this week? Uh, I wrote last week about following Jodie Cormer, can't even pronounce her name, the news that she, do you even know who she is? Is she Killing Eve? Yes! Oh my God, I'm so impressed, Mum's cultural knowledge. (laughs) Um, About how she's dating a Trump supporter, or supposedly, allegedly, whatever, and people have raised whether or not they would date someone of an opposing political view, have opposing political view. And I wrote about how I think having an opposing political view is a legitimate reason to dump someone. And people were very angry about that. I thought that was so interesting. I suppose it just depends how much you care about um, current events, also known as politics. And if you really care about those things, quite difficult to be in a partnership with somebody who takes a completely different view because you're going to want to discuss it and it's going to get irritating. 
Mm. Unless you can persuade them to your side, like I persuade you to my side so often, mm, so that so. you can actually help them better understand the political standpoint that you've got. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I like that you've said that because I definitely, you and your ex-boyfriend, you were, and he was, you were very much a Remainer and he was very much a Brexiteer. Flora, what have I told you about not discussing my personal life on radio? <laughs> Shout out to Quasi, love you. F- Flora... <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, so Flora's right, though, that they, I have had difference of opinions with uh, partners. Uh, but I'm happy to say that none of them resulted in the sort of breakup you're talking about. I think it's the sort of thing that if you, you enter into with your eyes open, particularly if it's a political party. I think it's interesting that I saw that uh, uh, from 2019, I saw figures saying that 1.6 million romantic relationships in the UK ended because of Brexit. That's extraordinary. Yeah, further 2.7 million because of political fight, other political fightings. I would think that the Brexit one probably happened right at the end because where during the campaign people really minded and campaigned, by the time it came to the end of 2019, just last year when Boris won the general election, tempers were so high mm. that I should think that that is where the point where it became impossible to really carry on a relationship with somebody who took a different view. I think the difficulty for me is that there are opinions and political views that I see rooted in morals or ethics. So uh, ones around equality, so the legalisation of gay marriage, for example, I see so rooted in the idea of equality and LGBTQ issues that I couldn't date someone that was against that. Same with abortion rights. I see it as so based in feminism. I couldn't really date someone that was against that. But on the other hand, I wouldn't rule out necessarily a political party. I've dated people who are both Labour and Tory because I don't really think either has moral virtue has a monopoly. a monopoly on it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so that's very good. And I have to say, I agree. Um, you know, I, I also feel that if somebody didn't understand why being pro-choice is important or supporting equal marriage is important, then they would be difficult to stay in a partnership with. But being on a political party is quite different. Mind you, when I when I wrote that piece, I had a lot of the a lot of people on the far right saying, oh, it's always you know far lefties that can't be with someone that's um that's got a different political opinion to you that they're all one-sided but i don't think that's true i think both sides if you feel strongly and you're really if you're a strong corbynista you're not going to be able to go out with someone that is far right if you're campaigning every day I agree and it's with the that. same the opposite way around if you're far far tory voter you're going to find it difficult to go out with someone that's but, but i think that i would be somebody who says that we need to promote tolerance and so the idea of belonging to one political party and saying, therefore, nobody belonging to the other political party can be my friend because I know they have bad values, which is what they're saying out of that, is completely to misjudge why people belong to political parties. There was a new MP who came in, um, I think in 2015, who immediately said, I cannot be friends with a single Tory. And people were pretty irritated with her because... If you take that view, you're not going to be able to work with people of the other party either. And actually, uh, there's lots of successful campaigns that have worked by MPs from both parties working together. And to be able to do that, you have to trust and potentially form friendships. So I think that you let people down if you take such a stringent view, if you're an active politician yourself. I agree. And I think I think... I I partly agree. I think you need to, as a politician, be able to work with all parties. And even in terms of friendships, you should be able to perhaps, you know, not see moral purity as belonging to either party. But I think who you date, who you let in your bed, it's just, we make snap decisions on such minor things. 
political views and parties is a really big one. Yes, yes. But I think that to make it issue-based rather than political party-based yeah. makes more sense. So from that point of view, I agree with you. And I do think when people... I think people who get... There's a big difference between not dating someone because of their view and party and actively abusing them on yes, dating sites, I which that. I know a lot of people get, um, which I don't think is right. No. And we have to... You know, the, the fact is there is so much abuse that politicians get. Anything we can do to stop that is important. So our main topic today is on politicians and their character and the fact that I think they are all a bit egotistical and uh, it seems a bit mean to do with mum because I'm basically accusing you, but I'm okay with it. Um, So I think that all politicians are a bit egotistical, uh, mainly because I think you can get, they all say I'm doing this because I want to change the world or do something good, but you can get more done outside of politics. Okay, so I fundamentally don't agree with that, not surprisingly. I'm trying not to take offence at the position that you're taking, but I think that politicians do something really important, really useful, and if they get it right, they can indeed change their environment, change the country, change things for their constituencies they represent in a way that is really positive. So I go around the country, as Flora knows, encouraging people to become politicians because I think it's a really valuable thing to do. Not only can you stick to your principles, but you can also deliver real change well i think there's not much point us discussing this back and forth too much seeing as we have two really great guests to talk to uh in a minute we're going to be joined joined by george osborne who's going to be who was a career politician is going to be talking to us about i think why they're not all egotistical but beforehand we've got the fabulous nimco ali joining us who has done a lot but wouldn't want to get into politics you've worked with nimco yes before. i've come across nimco as a fantastic campaigner for women's health uh, women's rights she's a very well-known feminist and campaigner and she's done a lot she's really achieved a lot in terms of drawing the government's attention to the terrible amount of FGM, female genital mutilation, that takes place not just in uh, various African countries, but also to some extent in the UK. And she's remarkable in her achievements in that way. And I spoke to her some time ago and tried to persuade her to become an MP. And to be frank, she laughed in my face. (laughs) So, So let's hear why. And then we'll hear from George Osborne with the other side. Hi. Hi. Oh yes, you look like you're somewhere lovely and outside. Um, no, I'm not outside. Well, I'm I'm in Camden, but it looks nice actually. So it could be a nice backdrop as long as it's sunny. Just so um, our listeners know who you are, um, I know you as a very effective campaigner for women's rights, women's health, and FGM in particular. Uh, what, how would you describe yourself? What you do? Um, yeah, well, I describe myself as the chief fanny defender, but um, in order to kind of mock the idea of like you know how ridiculous FGM is but yeah I am I'm the CEO and the co-founder of the Five Foundation which is the global partnership to end FGM so yes Yes. I'm an activist um, at heart. And I remember saying to you I think it must have been about a year ago when we uh, were discussing what else can be done I said to you you should think about becoming an MP and you looked at me in horror and said no 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 I like to get things done 
And it made me realise quite what um, I'm afraid, what a view of some people have of MPs, which is that we we are, or we were in terms of myself being part of them, all about the sound and fury and not enough about actually getting things done, which is why we wanted to ask you on our programme to discuss it. I do think like, you know, I think um, in order to be um, a campaigning MP, I think that's completely different. I, I think you can't be a single policy person. The fact that even though gender equality is my fundamental thing that, um, and that I believe in, I think um, as our political world stands at the moment, either you are either Labour or the Conservatives. And in order to be an MP, you have to be able to be broad enough to stand by a manifesto and stand by um, the party lines. And I'm one of those people which um, the whole point is I'm not going to go into politics just for the idea of politics. I really want to make a change. And I know being bogged down by, by the idea of having to agree with everything, with every other political party, um, w- with your party leader, let alone the party with my manifesto, is going to be quite problematic. And I think, and also I don't necessarily have or want to be a, like, you know, a politician at heart in the sense, that I, I don't think anybody just wants to be an MP anymore. Like, you know, a lot of British politicians have become like the Africans. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be president or prime minister. It's, honestly, it's quite funny. It's like, if you go to Africa and you ask anybody what do they want to be, everybody wants to be president. I'm just thinking, well, why can't some of you want to be backbenchers or all these other kind of things? And that has become, in the United Kingdom as well, every single MP that I know is running some kind of campaign to be the next leader of their political party, which then takes you away from actually achieving anything. Yeah, it's interesting. When we had our conversation with Rory Stewart uh, on one of our previous episodes, he said that uh, in the past, uh, MPs had been happy to be backbenchers and it was a bit of a nerdy kind of unusual thing to want to be a secretary of state, to want to be leader, whereas now that seems to have shifted and uh, almost all the politicians entering parliament have that ambition to get to the front. Yeah, and he's one to speak because he actually got the dream job. He would have been an incredible secretary of state for Diffid. And Diffid would probably still be alive had he not started walking to become leader as soon as he got through the front door. I think that was the most disappointing thing I've ever seen in my life. He, he was an incredible minister for Africa, really understood a continent which is one of the most diverse, one of the most important to global peace and prosperity. So, yeah, I think, I think, and that's why, I think that's one of the things is, 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 is the fact that I don't think I've also got the kind of the ego or the ambition, you can call it whichever one, to want to be um, leader. Do you think uh, politicians nowadays, do you think they have egos? Do you think ego is an important part of being a politician? I think ego is always a massive part of being a politician. And that's one of the, that, that's one of the reasons why I think my campaigning has been very successful, because I know I want to be able to um, kind of appeal to that. So, so the whole point is I've given... The, the privilege of ending FGM to a lot of politicians and everybody thinks they were the first person to do it. I'm like, no, you weren't, but it's fine, you carry on. So um, ego is a massive thing and, and so social media has kind of amplified that. I think 50 years ago, they were before, oh, I'm going to be like, you know, there's, there's going to be books written about me. Um, but now everybody wants to be trending on Twitter for um, leadership stuff. But I worry that what we're doing by having a system like that, Nimco, which you described so well, is we're putting off young people who are effective campaigners and who believe in making changes and just getting instead people who want to be a secretary of state or be a minister without any real drive. And the more that becomes the case, the more self-fulfilling it will become and we'll get less and less good people who really have the um, not just the ability, but the intent to do something good for the country or outside the country or Minister for Africa or whatever it is, 
we need those people because otherwise our parliament and our government is diminished. I think yeah, we do need those people, but they don't necessarily have to be um, within. They, they, they don't have to be politicians. I think, like you know, I think a lot of people have actually demonised the civil service, and I think for, for me, that I think that's the most. I think I think that's the backbone of real politics and real change. It's people that are in the civil service and civil servant, um, and, pe- and people that work in those kind of sectors, and also. The idea, I don't think, in the United Kingdom, unlike America, we've never really understood the power of true lobbyism in, in terms of um, campaigning. So things have to change. In terms of politics, I also kind of think that there should be some, some kind of age limits on it. I don't think, I think you should be able to have a career and live in the world before you actually enter parliament. So I would actually put an age, like, you know, bracket on the fact that I don't think anybody over the under the age of 40 should become an MP and I don't think anybody under the age of 60 should become prime minister because it doesn't matter how rich or how protected you are within if you've been on, on, on this planet for six decades then you would have felt some kind of like you know pain whether it's like cancer whether it's like divorce or something then you would have actually have something to humble you so I I think that there's a massive um, focus on young people coming into politics as politicians I think more young people should be engaged in politics but not necessarily be wooed into becoming career politicians. I think that's really interesting. I also think that um, the best politicians are the ones who come in who have had some experience. I mean, I would say that because I was a late arrival myself. Uh, But I think that they they are more effective. Either they've campaigned or they've been in the private sector. The business of coming in without any experience at all is tricky. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And And then you definitely become part of the machinery rather than somebody with actual ideas. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Nimco, what's next? What are you focused on next in your battle? 
Yeah, so basically, um, one of the things is that the Five Foundation, which is this global partnership, has two funds at the moment that we're trying to fundraise for. One is the activist fund to get your, to be able to do what I did in the UK, to be able to lobby their governments and to be able to, um, like, you know, make activism something that's sustainable. I think that's another one of the things, everyone thinks that activism is, is a hobby rather than an actual full-time job. And, and then the next is that we're working with um, an African-based bank in order to really bring investments into Africa. It's, it's interesting what COVID and, and the Black Lives Matters movement kind of collided together has really brought, brought a lot of things to the forefront where, like, you know, we've, I've been very successful in um, dealing with the issue of FGM in a very, everybody will kind of say that it's, 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 it's quite hard to get anything achieved as a woman of color in this country. But actually, like, you know, that there is, we are able to progress as long as we talk about humanity and have these kind of conversations. But on an international level, um, Black and African women have been the most left behind and we just kind of assume that they're going to survive. So we're hoping to really use this opportunity. If we are going to build back better, we need to build back differently. And whenever people ask mum, you know, how can I make a difference? Or how can I change? Mum obviously always pushes, tries to push people into politics, I would say, or tries to push yeah. especially young women into politics. But if people ask you as, as an activist, as a campaigner, if I feel strongly about something, how should I go about making a difference? How should I go about making that change happen? What's your advice for them? So yeah, it just, so, so, so my advice is the whole point is always vote and always find out who's like, you know, standing up for that. And then also find allies because there are always other people that kind of agree with you. So that's how things change. And I do like, you know, I do believe in our political, I, I do believe in our political system and I also believe in legislation. But the whole thing is that I know how hard it is from within just to have one piece of legislation to go to even go go through parliament. And, and um, so I would say support those that are in power rather than you seeking power yourself. Because I think if, if we're all going for the same place, then we're never going to get anything done. So we have to have, like, you know, a structure of the fact that one of us leads and others support. And I think the greatest um, power is in the people. Uh, so if you were going to build a perfect politician in order to work with, what kind of qualities or characteristics would you need to be in that person? Um, I think over 40, feminist, humble and funny. Um, I think that's a fundamental, I think that will offset the ego thing because you will have to have the ability to believe in yourself and have some kind of Genghis Khan, like, you know, um, theories about yourself. So yeah. I, think that, I think that will offset everything else. Thank you so much, Nimco. Really marvellous to hear from you. And uh, although I'm quite a supporter of MPs, as you can imagine, I can see the point you're making about how much gets done outside of Parliament as well. No, I love MPs, but there are 70 million of us in, in this country. So no, I think we all have to one. be able to do other things. I agree. I agree. And if I wanted to make a donation, do we do it through the Five Foundation? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. The Five Foundation is the way. And if like, you know, if you want to kind of like support it anyway, in, in terms of want to be able to specifically support any country that we, we, we have a list of the countries that we work in. Um, so, yeah, just go look at our website and also okay. see the things that we're really up to at the moment. Well, that was fascinating from Nimco. I'm afraid I don't think I've persuaded her to become a member of Parliament, but she has persuaded me that she's got a lot done from the outside. Yeah, she has. She's really impressive. I thought it was super interesting her talking about her criteria for the ideal politician that they should be, they should have had a previous career, they should be uh, passionate about something, I think she said, uh, and that they should be over 40. Would, would you have made that cut? 
Uh, that's very generous of you, darling. Yes, I was well <laughs> over 40. But I'm not sure our next guest would make that cut. Mm. So joining us next, we have George Osborne. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer under David Cameron. Uh, and he went into politics straight away. So he was a career politician. He was indeed. And he gave me, as a low, low uh, backbencher, uh, my first break by making me his parliamentary private secretary, which was my first step on the um, sticky wicket and uh, challenging ladder um, to become Home Secretary after a few years. So I'm always particularly grateful to George for giving me that break. And did you, you use the video of this or not? No. No, 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 no. So you could have done it in your dressing gown. That would have been fine. Turn around, let's see the dressing gown. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see. Where are where are they? Where are the? Where's mother and daughter? I'm gonna, just gonna spin you around, and you should better see that now. Hey. Hello, hi, hi, George. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Where are you? Uh, my flat. My flat in London. Mum's basement. Mm. That's where we plotted the downfall of Boris Johnson. Remember? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that went well. <laughs> yeah, another great success. Anyway, um, we're here. Here's Flora. Because Flora, for some reason, is concerned about the quality of politicians that are currently entering government or recently. I'm not surprised it's got like markedly worse than the last year. (laughs) Certainly things may have deteriorated since we were there. But Flora, over to you. Uh, So first question is, why on earth would someone want to become a politician? Or or more specifically, why, why did you? Well, there's all the stuff about making a difference. But the truth is, it's just an incredibly interesting, varied job. And it's hard to find anything else better to do in the world, as Amber and I are finding out. That, well, yes, that is true. Well, you, you've, you've gone for the multiple approach, I see there, George. I've gone for the scattergun approach. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that is quite an interesting reply. It's because it's just so interesting. But it's true, like you, every politician I ask tends to say, uh, I want to make a difference. And then the reply so often is, well, why didn't you become a social worker? There is, though, at the core of it, don't you think, some people do have something they want to do, which is principled... Look, I think it it has always been the biggest show in town. In any country, at any point in history, you know, the the biggest decisions, the most interesting challenges have been the ones made by the people running the country or the city or the republic at the time. And, uh, you know, you, you can go back to the kind of great days of Cicero or the amazing decisions you know at the time of the american revolution by the kind of likes of washington or jefferson or disraeli or you know in our own lifetimes you know the sort of thatcher cabinets or whatever i mean you know these are just like the biggest most interesting problems that a country or a society faces and you know some people like being in the middle of those things so it's about power then you think it's about getting your hands on the levers of power why people enter politics I don't, well, not for me personally in the sense that I was never that much interested in the kind of trappings of it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pretending that it was not kind of nice to be driven around in a chauffeur-driven limo, but there are other ways to get hold of those things. Um, yes. And, you know, it's, it's more... Um, so I didn't... And actually, as a local MP, the bit I sort of least liked was sort of turning up at the parade and sort of being at the annual dinner or the whatever, you know, thing. It, it, it's, uh, it's not sort of power in the sense of just being there. It's, it's actually doing kind of meaningful things, using your talents, whatever they are, 
to the best of your ability and hopefully the best of the ability of the people around you. So do you think the majority of your colleagues or, or actually the majority of the current cabinet, let's say, got into politics in order to do meaningful things, as you said? Well, I think it's for many people, it's a, a kind of calling, a bit like being a doctor or a teacher or something. You know, there's a test I have, which is if I said to you, Flora, would you ever consider being an MP? Yes or no? No. I'd rather dip my tampons in Tabasco. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not, I wouldn't. I'm not sure about the tampon thing with the Tabasco. I'm asking about the politics. <laughs> right, look. So, you, so if that's true, then you don't want to be an MP. But anyone who hesitates and anyone who goes, well, I maybe at some point, you know, then you know they're basically... They're harbouring their, their desire there. to do it at some stage. That's no, true. Like Lots of people... You know, would say I'd never want to be a doctor. You know, dealing with all those ill people, or I couldn't bear being a teacher dealing with all the you know students. Whereas for those who do it, they love it, and they you know often couldn't think of doing something else. Politicians now are held in particularly low esteem, and this is why one of the questions we were trying to ask is: Are they particularly more? Are they more narcissistic than they have been before? More sort of self-obsessed. Do you think that's true now more than it was in the past? I mean, I have a view that because we have to do. Politicians have to do so much public speaking and it's all televised, etc. There's more need for people to be more confident and perhaps more self-obsessed than they used to be. You get used to get better thinkers before. I don't know. That's true, actually. I mean, I, I, so I have my view is that hasn't really changed. I mean, first of all, if you want the actual facts, they've been doing this survey of whether people trust politicians for about 40 or 50 years I think Ipsos Mori do it. And it has not changed in all those decades. Um, and then if you look at kind of Gilray cartoons of the 18th century, the people who were like Chancellor of the Exchequer, Home Secretary back then were kind of, you know, put in pictures in newspapers, sort of defecating on toilets. And yeah. Wouldn't appear in the evening standard now. And by the way, the, 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 the price of getting it wrong was a lot higher, right? You and I would have had our heads chopped off. Right, literally yeah. five hundred years ago, you know, if you were on the wrong side of a of a political movement or a change of government or a coup or a you know, which, you know any of those things, right? As it is, we're yes. having nice Zoom calls. And you were very young when you were shadow chancellor. Well, I'm still quite young now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> quite, but you were extraordinarily young, weren't you, when you were shadow chancellor? Uh, I was thirty three. Yes. I mean, what? Nimco, why don't you say, tell about when, Nimco. When we were talking to Nimco earlier, we were asking her about kind of who, how she would uh, create politicians or what she would advise. And she said that she wouldn't allow anyone to become a politician under the age of 40 to make sure people had, had done things beforehand. Whereas you famously went straight into politics. How do you feel having done it now? How do you talk to people that have that kind of criticism or thought process? Uh, well, look, I, I think, um, you know, I think Nimco's great and she's sort of proving you can you know change the world outside parliament although frankly she should get herself elected and she'd have even more that's what i said she won't do it i don't know why she doesn't because she's so obviously like made for politics um but um no anyway boris or carrie more to the point will put her in the house of lords and that will sort it let's hope i I think the age the age thing is a uh it's not it you know i used to have to answer this question all the time when i was very young doing the Shadow Chancellor and Chancellor job. I think the, you know, probably a country benefits from having a range of people of different ages and experiences. And it's, you know, it's very, when I was starting out in politics, it was kind of inconceivable 
that you would have a sort of leader of the opposition like Jeremy Corbyn in his 70s. I mean, it felt like a really young person's game when I was there to begin with, with Tony Blair coming in and, you know, and David Cameron. And, and you look at the American politics now where both candidates are in their 70s. So I think it kind of varies. Um, and I'm not sure that, uh, you know, age always brings experience. There, there is something, there's, an, there's one a big advantage to doing it young, and there are, I'm sure there are disadvantages in terms of you haven't you know seen enough of life. But the big advantage is energy. You know, my energy levels were very high, in, and I remember going to these G20 meetings, and literally like half the room was asleep. I mean, I'm not kidding. <laughs> but literally, lots of people, quite understandably, flown from all over the world. You know, uh, often uh, getting on in life would be, you know, snoozing at the table. And, you know, I, I was younger and I could stay awake, well, at least most of the time. Um, one, of, one of the expressions that uh, always makes me laugh is that uh, politics is acting for ugly people. And um, when you look oh, at... Oh, thanks a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very rude about your mum and her friend. <laughs> exactly. But, okay, okay, present company... No, I'm not... Anyway. Oh, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> when you when you look at people like sorry not talking about the ugly people when you talk, look at people like Trump and Boris and things that it's become more actingy not not comment on their appearance but it's become more performative more about the performance thanks to maybe social media thanks to I think a lot of the tactics do you think it's encouraging people to get into politics who care about ego and speeches and being in the limelight more than perhaps those other qualities? I think it was ever, was ever thus, to be honest. I think, um, I mean, the kind of audience has changed. You know, it used to be, like back in ancient days, you'd stand in the market square and you'd have thousands of people in front of you and you had to entertain them. Um, or, you know, the House of Commons in the 18th century, if you were like Charles James Fox or William Pitt, you know, it was quite a small world you had to entertain, but it was very fast moving, very ruthless you know it could turn against you and then you'd be out and then you got into the world of television and you know well newspapers first then television and radio and then the internet so the kind of medium has changed but I think the you know the ability to entertain has always been you know a skill of the really top politicians whether for good or I mean top in terms of the position they reach sometimes they don't do much good with that but um and I think if you look at a kind of Winston Churchill you know, he's really conscious. And you see those old pictures of him coming out of 10 Downing Street during the war, you know, doing this with his fingers, the V sign and the cigar and the, you know, the hat. I mean, it's all showmanship, isn't it? And actually, if you look at like Disraeli wearing these kind of elaborate velvet outfits and, you know, it's it's a, you know, it's like the it's the equivalent of Boris ruffling up his hair or, you know, Trump's kind of extraordinary rally speeches. So. There, you know, I don't think I, I don't think it kind of you've got more egotistical people or you've got more showy people in. I just think the the kind of the 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 techniques have changed, if you like, and the, how you communicate has changed. I mean, in my day, when I started in politics, when I was shadow chancellor, up against Blair and Brown, you know, it was all about being ruthlessly disciplined, getting out your soundbite. If you didn't get your soundbite out first time, do it again. We would been taught by the kind of Clinton Blair era that that was the way to succeed in politics. Yeah. Now, you know, if you do that, you look inauthentic and it's pre-rehearsed and it's, you know, and people want the kind of rambling, you know, behind the scenes. This is what it's really like sort of look. 
I suspect that will change when maybe that turns out not to be as, uh, you know, uh, an even better way of running the country. <laughs> One of the things was, that was remarkable, remarkable about you, George, when I became your PPS was your knowledge of the Conservative backbenchers. Um, you seem to know everybody and pretty much about their backgrounds. Looking at the Conservative Party now, if you were thinking, OK, we need to bring on some new people to have these sort of skills and talents, what do you think would make a good MP now for the Conservative Party? What sort of skills? Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, I know this is a sort of contemporary person. I think, you know, the, the Tory party does, even to this day, sometimes attract kind of the sort of fogeyish tendency. They, they can but, do very and, well. Uh, by the way, you know, the Jacob Rees-Smogs as well, I don't really agree with much, you know, a lot of his politics, but the, uh, you know, he's too like a showman in the, you know, in the kind of yes. previous world. But I think those, you know, those new MPs who I obviously know less well because I'm not an MP anymore myself, for the Tory party who are just sort of, you know, much more sort of fresh-faced, contemporary, you know, ordinary in the best sense of the word. Um, you know, they're the people who I think, you know, are going to make uh, an impact. I mean, look, you know, the big star at the moment of the Tory benches is Rishi Sunak, right? Um, and, you know, he's very sort of straightforward and unshowy and, you know, he doesn't grandstand on the platforms and he does you know, he's he's got a very, I think, got a very sort of contemporary style, actually. Um, now, you know, we haven't seen him yet in the full House of Commons when things are going wrong. <laughs> and you've got, like, the late, yeah. late buddy screaming at you and, you know, Starmer's ahead in the polls and all the things that really kind of put a government under the microscope. But, you know, I think that's kind of a nice style he's got. And, uh, and I would say that's kind of refreshing. Um, I... I think politicians do have quite a bad reputation. I hope that's not as new news to the two of you. Um, but like, you how, should meet how... the children of politicians. They've got a much worse reputation. <laughs> how did you find it? Uh, it was it was all right. It's, I think I'm making the most of it now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, uh, do you worry that the reputation that politicians have that they're perhaps egotistical or things like that? discourages young people from getting into politics. We were talking earlier about this idea that, you know, you can get more change done not being a politician. Does that then mean that young people now are going to be not wanting to try and become MPs? Is it going to be just, you know, a, a different type of person that gets into politics? I think it's true. I think I've, look, I've understood this, I'm, I think, better out of politics, that there are other ways to kind of shape the agenda i think when you're in the cabinet you know you think that all the decisions are made here and you know we're in charge and so on and then when you're outside you realize that there are so many other kind of influences and changes happening in society and that you you know you can affect change in different ways if you want to affect change and also um you know you know shock horror not everyone is paying close attention to what the cabinet's deciding you know uh, I mean, I, find, I think you've got this sort of interesting situation in the last few months where three or four months ago, you probably had, you know, an almost unparalleled situation where the whole nation, certainly unparalleled in my lifetime, the whole nation tuning in, 25 million people to listen to the prime minister tell us, you know, we can go out, we can't go out, these are the rules, stay at home, whatever. And the whole country was paying close attention. Now, when they talk... You can do this, you can sit in this bubble, you can literally no one's paying any attention at all. 
<laughs> so they've gone from they've gone from like everyone hanging on every single word to I think being almost completely disregarded, not in terms of the other things they're doing, but in terms of all the kind of rules around the virus. And and you know, so it's a mistake. Politicians think they're in charge all the time. Sometimes they are. Sometimes the nation is listening. Often the nation isn't. Okay, thank you. Final question. Um, do you um, hanker to go back into politics at all? Would you go into the House of Lords? Um, well, the, uh, the answer is sort of no and probably no. <laughs> so, um, so no, I don't hanker for a big return, actually. Partly because I was there at the centre and did it and I had a wonderful time. And, yeah. and, uh, and then... <laughs> House Lords, I know, it's not really for me now. I, I'm not saying I might not change my mind in the future. But you but... called for House of Lords reform quite early on in your career, didn't you? Yes, I've never been a massive fan of the House. I mean, I tried to, I, vote, I voted repeatedly to get rid of the House of Lords, so I'm not sure, yeah. sure what they're making <laughs> me if sure I walk through the door. <laughs> well, George, thank you so much. And let's hope we haven't, the two of us, put people off getting into politics. I don't think we have anyway. And then we'll welcome Flora when she gets elected as the member for Hastings or... Maybe we'll pick a safer seat for her. (laughs) Hastings Ryan would be a delight for her, I'm sure. But we've got to change her mind, as you can see. It's very firmly made up against at the moment. I think I've said some statements that would haunt me. I think that's true. I thought that was really interesting that uh, I thought George would agree with me that uh, social media and the current lot of politicians that we have in Trump and Boris would have made it worse, would make politicians more egotistical. But he basically said they've always had to have a bit of an ego. That's right. And actually, it was interesting that he basically said that it's always been like this. I think the phrase he used was it was ever thus that politicians are vilified by the public and that they have to entertain and hold the public's attention and find a way to do it if they want to succeed. My worry is that it is a self-fulfilling prophecy that we all kind of see politicians, especially young people, as egotistical. And as a result, it's then only the people that are already quite egotistical, that already only like the sound of their own voices and are unwilling to compromise, that are then the ones that get into politics. And then it becomes even more of an issue. No, I think because I think you're wrong, particularly on the compromise side. You know, politicians have to compromise in order to find a way of getting what they want done, because you never get all of what you want done. You can get part of it, but not all of it. Uh, But in terms of, if I say, on our other guest, on Imco, again, I, I feel quite passionate still about the fact that even though she has achieved so much outside politics, if she only became a member of parliament, she would be fantastic at it. And uh, I think it's a great shame that she has set her face against it. And maybe, maybe she will one day when she perhaps reaches the age which she thinks <laughs> is the earliest you should become an MP yourself, maybe she'll rethink that. Do you think she could get more done from within politics? Uh, well, that is, that is very difficult to tell because she's done so much outside politics. Perhaps when she's reached some sort of level that she's trying to achieve, she might then move into politics because who knows what... She, you, you don't know what you can achieve once you go into politics because you don't know how far you're going to go up the ladder. You've been listening to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. It's a Wireless Studios production for Times Radio, produced by Ben Mitchell. Tune in to Times Radio every Sunday at 7pm to hear us live. 
And you can download the podcast to listen on demand. We're available at Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.